This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writingexcuses. Season 13, Episode 24. This is Writing Excuses. What do writers get wrong about Asian diaspora characters? Special With special guest, Ken Liu. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Piper. I'm Aliette. I'm Wesley. And we have a special guest today, as I maybe slightly stuttering mentioned, guest Ken Liu. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, I'm Ken Liu. I'm a writer, translator, lawyer, and programmer. And I'm the author of a collection of short stories called The Paper Menagerie and Other Stories and uh, a silk punk epic fantasy novel series. Uh, whose first book is called The Grace of Kings. So, in other words, uh, by Asian parent standards, an underachiever? A disappointment, really. Uh, Writing is not a proper career. It is not. It's not. You need to have a real career. It like being a doctor, doctor. or a lawyer. My, yeah. my dad is still trying to get me job interviews. Really? Yeah. <laughs> my, my dad still just tells people, I don't know what she does. Son. Which is actually supportive. Well, kind of. Yeah. In that whole, well, she's also single. <laughs> but we had kids at which point my mom was like, oh, I have grandchildren. And then <laughs> turned to my sister and was like, what about your love life? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Okay, so <clears throat> let us get started. And I'm going to ask Ken to do this because he nodded yes. Could you please define diaspora? Um so I'm not going to define the word as so much as describe it. So the diaspora refers to the fact that um, uh, people with Asian ethnic origins no longer live um, in the cultures and lands of their origin. Uh, as a result of uh, history over uh, hundreds and sometimes thousands of years, um, many folks who now claim an Asian identity of some sort are no longer uh, living in their cultures and lands of origin, but spread around the globe. Uh, this is referred to as the great diaspora, the Asian diaspora. And so when we're talking about Asian characters uh, or Asian culture, uh, we don't refer to just uh, the culture and people who are in Asia, in their lands of origin, but also potentially uh, descendants who have uh, migrated around the globe. I mean, I think part of the problem is the whole Asian umbrella. Because that's a big umbrella. It is. And you know, that's like saying, you know, that's like saying like somebody who is 
you know, European. And that's like a, a Spanish, somebody from Spain is the same as somebody from like, Poland. True, true. I mean, but at the same time, I think it's also funny because they'll just say, well, Asia's a big continent. Aren't you all Asian? So is Europe. It's like, no, like, I mean, we're all human. Can we stop for a second? Can, we, can somebody explain to me why Europe is a continent? No, let's not stop for that because right, that's off yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I meander a lot. <clears throat> all right, so pet peeves. What have you seen in common media today that probably like, actually gets to you? Can, can, I, can I start on this? Because yeah. I have a list yeah, of yeah. these I can go on forever. <laughs> but I'll just do only one. Um, I, I think it's very, very interesting how in this age where um, uh, people who claim an Asian ethnicity really are just cover every possible diverse range uh, of, of, of thought, of, of, of position, vis-a-vis their own culture or, or, or language um, or, or profession, there's still just a very limited set of, of roles that uh, characters who are quote-unquote Asian uh, may occupy in popular media. And uh, I don't mean just, you know, jobs they can do or, or you know, uh, the sidekick position they can take. I, I, I mean something more fundamental. Uh, when Asian characters are, are, are portrayed, uh, if they're a part of the diaspora, they're often portrayed as, uh, as caught between two. Um, it, it, oh, this God. is a very common theme. Um, the, the, the hyphenated identity of Asian American or, or Vietnamese French or what have you is often seen as a kind of slash uh, a wall and, and your identity is cutting half. I actually don't know anybody uh, who claims uh, a, an Asian hyphen identity who views themselves that way as caught between two spheres or acting as a in-between bridge between two spheres. It's just not how people experience it. Uh, and nonetheless, the idea of you're perpetually at war with yourself. Are you American or are you, are you Chinese? Uh, the idea that that somehow is, is the experience of identity of the Asian diaspora just won't die. That seemed to be the vision, the way to create dramatic conflict for these characters. Uh, I, don't, I mean, this, like, it, it gets as well into like, mixed-race people. And, like, it's even worse with mixed-race people because, like, somehow your father and mother are, like, at war with each other and you don't know if you choose your mother's culture or your father's culture. And I'm like, my parents were in love. They got married. They raised us in both cultures. You know, we're not on the verge of, like, committing suicide because we're really depressed about not fitting in, which is not to say we don't have problems fitting in, but, hey, we deal with it. Like, you know, the way we deal with everything. Yeah, I think... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. um, I think we're all a lot of us find ways to adjust. And actually, it's more of that merging of cultures and having spheres of people who get the one aspect, but there's this other stuff that they don't really talk to you about because they don't get it, or that food that they don't try, or that language that they don't understand. And then there's another sphere that doesn't get that other side. And then you have this wonderful Venn diagram that is you that gets them both. And you have a concentrated area that you're most comfortable in. Like, I'm very a big a fan of Venn diagrams. Yeah. Venn diagrams. Are the and, and it's, it's like, not like we walk What about the concept, though, of, like, the Asian-American experience? Right. I mean, that... Are, are, you, are you saying you don't think there really is a tugging between cultures? I, I don't believe that's how most of us actually experience or how we deal with it. I, I don't mm. believe most of us view ourselves as being torn apart by two cultures. And there's one... The, because I don't believe most of us believe... <laughs> 
the, the position. I, I'll speak about Chinese-American experience solely because that's the one I'm going to comment on. I'm not speaking for the wider diaspora. But I don't believe most of us actually in, who self-identify some, in some way as, as Chinese-American view ourselves as not American. Uh, and and, and to, to accept the position that your identity is a conflict perpetually at war with self is to accept that Americanness means whiteness. And I simply don't believe that's what most of us either believe or want to believe or accept. Um, so I don't agree with, with the idea that the way to portray um, uh, a Chinese-American character, uh, especially given the politics between China and the United States, is to portray these characters as somehow a symbolic battleground on which cultures are fighting and, and they are uh, being torn between two spheres. It's, it's, it's a stupid old cliche. It satisfies uh, certain uh, colonialist uh, attitudes about uh, civilizing influences. And, and it's this idea that, you know, in order for somebody to be fully American, they must reject uh, the, the, the Chinese-ness uh, or whatever it is. I can say that personally, having grown up Thai and American in the United States, I never felt fragmented. I never felt that I had to be Thai in the summers when I was in Thailand, and I never felt that I had to be American in America. I was always ready to answer questions, no matter what age I was. I was always very proud of my name that my parents gave me. I was very uh, proud of my language. I did feel resentful to elementary school teachers that brought my parents in to parental um, teachers' conferences to tell them that I would get confused if they allowed me to continue bilingual and that I should focus on English. And so I never felt fragmented and, in fact, felt very whole and very much wanting to force people to acknowledge me as being much more than what they were trying to box me into. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Now, I am going to pause this here, and I'm sorry, but we do need to stop for the book of the week. And that's Ken again. So, Ken, please give us the book of the week. So, the book of the week is uh, my book, which is called The Paper Menagerie and Other Stories. Um, this is a collection of short fiction uh, collected over uh, out of my total publication over a period of more than a decade. Uh, there's 15 stories in it. They cover a range of uh, genres from science fiction to uh, fantasy to magic realism to historical fiction. Uh, and a lot of them do explore the idea of uh, the Asian diaspora experience, and they may be of interest. Thank you. Now, I'm going to pop over to Wes and ask a little bit more about this idea of diaspora and where do you see it in media where you think it's interesting, like another example of? I mean, I, th- I think a really good example of this is, um, oh, I really did not want to use this example, um, the, the show on Netflix, uh, Dragon Fist. And, and the thing is, when, when the news first was announced that they're going to remake Dragon Fist, we were mm-hmm. all like, oh, boy. it's a very problematic character. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a white dude who goes back to China and learns, learns Kung Fu and suddenly is, is a master of, you know. Is it Dragon Fist or Iron Fist? It's Iron Fist. Is, it, is it Iron Fist? Iron Fist? I think it's Iron Fist. It's, it's Iron, Iron Fist. Fist. It's I, Iron I, Fist. Okay. I saw parts of it. But, um, 
and the thing is, so there's a big argument going on about um, should the character be Asian, or should you, should they be true to character and just get, keep them white? Well, they also did that with Ghost in the Shell, right? Because they picked yeah. a good actress that's really good for action characters, but they asked, should it be an Asian character? Because there are Asian actresses that could perform equally as well, and should this character be Asian since it's inspired from a Japanese anime or manga? I saw a yeah. documentary about Ghost in the Shell where they interviewed a bunch of Japanese people in Japan, and, and, they, they, and they go, well, well, what did you think of the fact that Scott Johansson is, you know, the Ghost in the Shell character? And they were all like, well... In the anime, wasn't she white? Because and that was one of the things where Japanese yeah. anime, a lot of the characters are, the character designs are supposed right. to be Western imaged characters. And that's a whole other topic for a whole other podcast. But, you know, when it came to the movie, that consideration was there. And I thought that was a good sign that people were thinking about it critically, even though maybe the directors and the Japanese creators really didn't mind because of, of reasons. But I thought it was good that the conversation was had, right? Like there's an awareness of, hey, or for example, another media, Hawaii Five-0. Mm-hmm. Two of the Asian characters that were intrinsic to the show from the very, very beginning hit a salary inequality thing and they stepped off the cast, right? So is that something where I'm waiting to see how they explain it in the show? They're going to kill them. They're going to kill them. They're going to kill them. They're going to end up in an explosion. Calling it now. But, I mean, it sounds like the thing that we find it interesting to talk about here is the fact that there is a meta conversation happening around it. I mean, it's not so much... I I guess this is something that I I think writers can all sort of take away from, which is that it's not about getting it right, quote-unquote, because getting it right for whom and and, and for what community and for what subsection of a contested uh, cultural concept is, is... There's no single right right answer. But often what happens here is that there is, you make a decision and you have to figure out what the reasons for making that decision are. And then you just have to be ready for the conversation to happen around it. I mean, people are not going to agree with your decisions. Uh, and, and you have to make sure that your decisions are made in an ethical way that you find to be artistically as well as uh, culturally sensitive and appropriate. Uh, and if that's the case, then the conversation will happen around it, and that's how we move forward. Yes. You're not doing it alone. We're doing it in a community. Do you guys find do you guys find that you're very suspicious every time you see an Asian character on television? Like, do you hyperanalyze the the reason why there's an Asian character there? Not really, but I kind of like start expecting like how long is it going to be before they're going to revert to cliche, or how long is it going to be before they kill him off? That's I'm like, what I'm, I'm, at, yeah. I'm like kind of like I've been burned too many times. You know, it's not that. Um, people who are not Asian cannot do a good job of like putting Asian characters or writing Asian characters. It's just I've, there's been like 90% of the ones that I see on screen are like end up dead or end up like the mystical Asian inspiration that also ends up dead. And I'm like, yeah, we need he, to talk. Yeah, one of my pet peeves is Asian hero. You can have a sexy Asian hero, a heroic, awesome man. And he does not have to be a large, unusually large physical specimen of an Asian man. He can just be an awesome Asian hero. And I write those into my characters, and I actually had some pushback, like, do you think this is going to sell with your hero being Asian? And I'm like, watch it. And not only that, but I made him the beta character. The female was the bodyguard. She's the kick-ass bodyguard sniper slash I'm going to keep us alive. And you know what? Reviewers liked it. Reviewers and readers embraced it and said, hey, we didn't realize that you could do this. And I'm like, 
Why wouldn't it have occurred to anybody that was possible? Well, I mean, isn't the key here that we do have more voices trying to, to do representation? I mean, I, I think the problem comes from trying to do one character and have yeah. her represent all of Asian-ness, whatever that means. I mean, it's just, that is, first of all, the wrong problem to pose uh, and the wrong answer to the wrong problem. Well, well let me ask you guys this. Um, and st- stepping out of media, do you find yourself representing Asians everywhere, no matter what you do? Yeah, I mean, that's... And I'm, I'm using a very simple example, okay? I tip usually pretty well when I go to a restaurant, even though the server sometimes can suck. And the reason why I tip well is because I'm like, if I don't tip well, they're going to think all Asians suck at tipping. Hmm. I don't think yeah. I've ever done that, do, honestly. Do you get that, Ken? No, no, I, I've done that. I've definitely done that. I mean, uh, you know, I sometimes in some sort of public formal event, um, I'm extra careful because I view it as everybody here is white. So if I do something, it's going to get blamed on all Chinese people. I, I'm just going to have to be super careful. Um, I mean, when I was a lawyer, uh, you know, practicing corporate law, there were countless instances where um, I had to be hyper-vigilant uh, about how I behaved and, and what sort of jokes I could make and what sort of things I could say. And it still, you know, didn't work. Uh, you know, I, I got, there was one particular instance where I was asked uh, not to work on a case. And, and, and the situation, um, there was no real explanation given until in the end uh, it, it came through me that the client felt uncomfortable with having uh, an associate who was not white uh, be the face of, of the particular transaction with clients in that case. Um, that, that, that sort of thing does happen. Uh, and, uh, you know, you feel like you have a burden, how mm. un, however unjustified that is. Well, because you end up being the only one in the room, mm-hmm. so you're like, these people are going to judge whichever, like, whatever their idea is of Asian as, like, going to judge by, like, how I behave. It's, it's mm-hmm. actually, I find this terribly stressful. I'm like... Okay, I'm just like one person. It's a huge continent. It's a huge bloody continent. So I have to admit, uh, whether in my day job or in my writing, um, I've been in the room, and I have often been the only Asian in the room. And I've simply said, "This is my personal response," or "This is my." And I've I've just proceeded forward on the strength of my knowledge, my subject matter expertise, and my experience, and I've qualified it as such. Mm. And hope that that's enough for them to realize that I am not representative of the entire Asian continent or the diaspora. Um, and, and really, I, I don't think I've ever felt that pressure per se so much as I've just stepped forward and done it. Um, and, and perhaps that's an interesting thought for me the next time that I'm put in that position because I think it'll be interesting to take it from that perspective. But we're running out of time. And um, I'd like to ask one more question, even though we're running long, and that's what piece of advice would you give to writers who are trying to approach this more sensitively or, or with a, more, um, a broader perspective? Like you said, you can't get it right, but how can they do a good job about taking it into consideration as they write their work? This is for everyone, or this is for everyone, but everybody's looking at you because you're the special guest. Um, okay, uh, I mean, I, I do have one standard piece of advice that I, I think people have found really helpful, um, which is to not to think of the Asian 
the fact that your character is Asian as, as the core around which uh, her entire identity revolves. Um, most of us do not walk around all day and think, how can I be more Asian? Uh, and am I doing Asian-ness correctly? All the nods going on over here. Like, that's, yeah. that's just not how, how that works. Um, and, and also, the, so try to put yourself in the position of trying to write characters who are individuals first, and, and, and whatever identity, uh, ethnic identity you want to put on them uh, as a secondary issue. But there are specific things you can do, one of which is to not just talk to one person and say, this is all my research, and that one person's experience is, is, is the source of all truth. I'm going to rely on that, and if anybody says I'm not doing it right, I will point to my friend and say, hey, I got it from her. So there, you know, argue with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not how you do it. I, I really do think it's incredibly helpful to talk to as many people in whatever ethnic group you wish to create your character as, to get a wide diversity of, of experiences and voices and, and to hear about, to ask them questions, useful questions like, like the questions we're asking here, like what do people get wrong about being Thai that you wish they would do right? What do people get wrong about being Vietnamese that you wish they would do right? Um, what does it mean to be Chinese and is that really even one identity or 30, 40, 50 and, and what does that mean? Um, these are all questions that you should ask uh, to, to, to people either over the internet or in life uh, and, and try to get answers. Uh, there is no substitute to primary sources, the very people who live those experiences. Yep. And um, I guess I'll go. Well, I mean, if, if you're going to write Asian characters, um, you got to realize that Asian is not really, uh, it's kind of a general term. So if you're going to write a specific character to be Asian in a way, you really got to drill down, you know, 20 steps deeper. 20 feet deeper and talk. You know, is, is he, is he or she Thai? Uh, are they, you know, are they from northern China? Are they from southern China? What dialect do they speak? And you know, somebody who's Korean is very different from somebody who's Indian. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and if, I'm sorry. And what part of India? Because there are a hundred different, di- you know, yeah. sects in India. So really, if you're gonna, you know, write an Asian character, you really have to nail down the details of their life that kind of informs who they are. Mm. Yeah. Just please, I mean, don't, don't use, like, regions or countries interchangeably. I mean, I regularly have, like, this is not Vietnamese. I don't even know what language this is supposed to be from. Or, like, like these are Korean names. I mean, you would think this is simple, but actually, uh, it is not. Yeah, do research. Even names can be a tricky thing. For example, yeah. Thai names, really hard to nail down because Thai surnames only came up very recently. Mm. Um, so that's a, that's a research thing. So, all right, we're wrapped up. We've gotten our tips in. Um, we do need to apply homework. Uh, the homework will be easy and pleasant. Um, if you're interested in more about Asian diaspora issues, uh, a lot, I, I cannot recommend more than to read actual books by Asian diaspora writers. Uh, and one of these uh, that is less well known is Maxine Hong Kingston's China Men. Everyone knows about the woman warrior uh, because that's on college campus syllabuses all the time. But China Men is uh, one of her books that I think uh, is the equal of the woman warrior and perhaps even better in some ways. Uh, I, I told her that when I met her and, and she um, smiled at me and, and didn't say anything. Um, but I, I, I really think it's a beautiful book uh, and, and reading it will give you uh, a lot of insight. Okay, 
Thank you, everyone. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go now write. write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.